kind of a big guy, and he had this he had this challenge that he would do with people. In fact, he was so confident in the challenge that he offered one thousand dollars for anyone that could win this challenge. And this is what the challenge was. If someone came in and they'd have to pay, I don't know, five, ten bucks to do the challenge, but they they'd give him the money, and the challenge was he would take a lemon and cut it in half and then squeeze the lemon, the, the juice out of that lemon into a cup. And the challenge was if they could take that lemon and squeeze even one more drop out of that lemon, he would give them a thousand dollars. And there, there were people that came in that fitness center all the time and took him up on the challenge. There, there were, were massive weightlifters. There were wrestlers. There were boxers. There were, there, there were guys that thought they were strong and, Sure enough, he would do it, squeeze the lemon. They would take and, and squeeze as hard as they could. They could never get another drop of, of juice out of that lemon. One day, uh, uh, the door opens, and this scrawny guy, he was pretty skinny and had black horn-rimmed glasses, just kind of kind of looked a little weird, had a pocket protector with about 12 pins in his pocket. He comes walking up and lays his money down and says, I want to do the challenge. And, and everyone that, that saw it kind of started laughing like, you know, we have seen huge guys not be able to do this, but but he paid his money. The guy took a lemon, cut it in half, took one, and squeezed it out, and the, the juice just flowed out of the lemon till he got the last drop out, handed the lemon to this little scrawny guy, and he, he took a hold of it, grabbed the cup, squeezed, and didn't he look like he squeezed very hard? Didn't didn't grunt, didn't groan, squeezed, and three drops of lemon juice dripped out of that lemon. And, and the guy was flabbergast of course he just lost a thousand dollars be flabbergast he looked at the guy looked at the scrawny dude and he says says are you a wrestler and the guy said no said and even though it's obvious he wasn't he said well are you a weightlifter and he said no he said well what do you do the guy said i work for the irs (laughs) tomorrow's tax day some of you that was a painful uh, uh, joke, but uh, others certainly got it. So we're, we're going to start off this morning, and I, I'm going to do a survey. Now, you never know when you do this, people may come up with, with different answers, but we're going to do a survey, and I'm going to let you kind of give the options, and then we'll we'll decide by just show of hands which you think is, which one you think is the right answer. So, so I'm going to let you nominate a couple answers to the question I'm going to ask, and and I'm thinking there's two, possibly three options here. So uh, most of you are going to get the two. Maybe you won't get that third. But, but here's the question that we're going to survey on. What is the most important Sunday of the year? Now, I'm kind of talking church-wise. We are at church today. So kind of church, uh, Sunday of the year. What is the, what is the most important Sunday of the year? Someone throw out a, a, a nomination for that. Easter, okay, that was the easy one. Everyone's going to get that one. I thought you'd say that. What's the other one? Christmas, okay, Easter, Christmas, possibly another one. Does anyone have another possible answer? Okay, you're getting way ahead of your, you just messed up my whole introduction, but, but I agree with you, but I'm not going to put that on the test here. The only one I thought of was, was maybe Mother's Day. You know, some of you might. I doubt anyone would nominate Father's Day, so, uh, but maybe Mother's Day. So I, I'm going to toss Palm Sunday out, and because uh, uh, now you already know where I'm headed with this. Uh, and, and let's throw those three out there. So I'm going to give you an option to vote which one you think is the most important Sunday. So, so how many of you think that Easter is the most important Sunday of the year? Just raise some, raising your hands. It looks like most. How about E? Uh, no, I, I just said Easter. How about Christmas? How many think Christmas? 
Got a cup? Two. Two. Pat, I saw that hand. Thank you. Uh, you like to give gifts or receive? Which I, but Christmas. And hey, and he's a deep thinker. You can't have Easter without Christmas. Because if Jesus wasn't born, he couldn't have gone to the cross and died and rose from the grave. So way to think. Uh, how many, anyone with Mother's Day? Yeah, there's a couple guys. Yeah, I, I, I knew it would be a couple guys that, that, that uh, added up that. So let, let me suggest to you today that, that Easter Sunday may not be the most important Sunday. Now, before you freak out, uh, before you get upset, before you uh, decide to call the elders together and, and uh, have me fired, uh, the message of Easter Sunday is the most important message. What we celebrate on Easter Sunday is the, if you look in the book of Acts and, and read through the book of Acts and see any of the sermons that are preached in the book of Acts, the, the foundation of those sermons, the hallmark of those sermons, the, 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 the whole point of the sermon is always Easter Sunday. It's always the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You don't see the apostles in the, in the book of Acts preaching about how to be a better husband or a better wife. Now that, that might have been taught, but you don't see that in the book of Acts. You don't, you don't see them preaching a term on a sermon on how to have a more fulfilling life or how to find your purpose in this life. You see them preaching Jesus crucified and Jesus raised from the, from the dead. You see sermons that talk about the fact that we are sinners in need of a savior and that savior is Jesus. And, and we know he's a savior because he came back to life. I, and, and I'm excited about this Easter. Uh, next Sunday, it's going to be a great time. In fact, I'll remind you at the end of the sermon to be inviting people to come next Sunday. We're having two services, eight and ten. And, and I'm excited about packing out both of those, uh, both of those services. So come and invite people. See, Easter is not about is not about eating uh, eating ham uh, around the kitchen table. It's not about candy. It's not about brightly colored eggs. Easter is not about a uh, a, a, a bunny. Uh, it's it's about what Jesus did, going to the cross and coming back to life. Okay, just changed my mind. I'm probably not con- going to convince you that Easter is not the most important Sunday. It is. But maybe the second most important Sunday is not Christmas or not Mother's Day. Maybe the second most important Sunday is Palm Sunday. Is some, uh, who said that anyway? I want to know who to, who, who okay. Uh, it, it is not the Sunday that we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday or the Sunday of the triumphal entry. Uh, uh, th- this Sunday was the Sunday before Easter, or actually for the Jews there, it was the start of their Holy Week. You, you see it's Sunday, today's Sunday, and, and if you saw the title of the sermon, it's Sunday and Sunday's coming. Uh, it's Sunday and Easter's coming. It's Sunday and Jesus will rise from the grave. It's Sunday and Sunday's coming. The victory's going to be won. It's Sunday and Sunday's coming. It's, it's Holy Week. It's our Holy Week for the church. And everything that happens this week that we remember is leading to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's Sunday and Sunday is coming. And with the excitement of that Sunday that's coming, we could easily miss the practical power that we see in the events of the Sunday before, of the Sunday before the Sunday. See, if we can see what happens on this Sunday, 
Uh, if we can see what happens on this Sunday and make it a model or a template of of how the events of this Sunday influences our life, then maybe we can understand even better the power of the resurrection Sunday. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. This this story is included in all four Gospels. Uh, I've mentioned before, there's not a lot of the stories in the Bible that are included in all four Gospels. This is one of those. So it's also included in Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. All of them just a little bit different, maybe have a, de- a detail or, or two different, but basically the same. So so follow along with me. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read a little bit of a longer section, but verses 1 through 11. Just kind of follow along. And when we get done, we're going to look at three three things I think we can learn as we walk through this text uh, uh, about our walk with Jesus that shows us how important this Sunday was. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples. We don't know really who that was. We assume it was two of the twelve. It could have actually been other disciples that were there, other followers of Jesus, but we assume it was two of the twelve. Say to them, go to the village ahead of you, which was probably Bethpage, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell me, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Uh, actually, Mark and Luke both tell us that the disciples were questioned about that and, uh, and, and, and it worked just like Jesus said. They, they let him have it. Uh, this took place to fulfill what the pro, uh, what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees, that's the palms, and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's, let's walk through three things that we can see here. First, the first thing we see is, is unwavering obedience. Unwavering obedience. If you are looking for a way to grow in your walk with Jesus, if you're looking for a way that that you can become more like him, there is one real easy thing that you can do. Unwavering obedience. When God speaks to you, when the Holy Spirit prods you, when Christian testimony challenges you, be obedient. Don't explain it away. Don't come up with excuses. Don't ignore it. Don't stick your head in the sand. Don't turn and walk away. Just obey. Now we see in this text, uh, first of all, we see an, the, the act of obedience. One of the easily missed gems in this story is the simple act of unwavering obedience by these two disciples, by Jesus' disciples. Let me, let me read verse one again. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead saying, Hey, go get this donkey. You'll, you'll see a donkey and it's coat. Go, go get them. As I mentioned, we're not sure who this was, which two it was. Some some people might w- want to guess, and 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 I'm going to guess that 
that, that one of them was Peter. And here's why I, I, I think that. I, I wonder if Jesus didn't say, when, when he got ready to send someone ahead, I, the text doesn't say, it's all four Gospels talk about it, doesn't say that, but I wonder if Jesus didn't say, hey, I need a couple volunteers. Uh, I, I just have a feeling that's what Jesus did as they were approaching. They went from Bethany and were heading towards Bethpage near the Mount of Olives. Jesus said, hey, I need a couple of volunteers. And if that's what happened, I guarantee you that Peter was one of the first ones to raise his hand. I'll volunteer, Jesus, because that's what Peter did. Jesus, or Peter, always volunteered. When, when Jesus said, hey, throw the net on the other side of the boat, uh, even though they had fished all night long and hadn't caught anything, Peter was, okay, I'll do it. When when Jesus said, hey, step out of the boat and walk on the water, man, that didn't make sense at all. But Peter said, okay, and he jumped out of the boat and began to walk on water. When Jesus said, hey, follow me up on this mountain so, so you're going to see this wonderful thing, the transfiguration, uh, Peter said, okay, I'll go. So when, when if, if, if Jesus said, hey, I need volunteers, I'm, I'm sure it was Peter that raised his hand. I got it. So I don't know if it was Peter and his brother Andrew. I don't know if if it was Peter and uh, and John, or if he grabbed uh, Judas or Matt, I don't have any idea who the other one was. But and it really doesn't make that much difference. But a couple of them say, "We'll do it." What do you want us to do, Jesus? Tell just tell us. We're 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 ready for it. Just tell us what to do. And Jesus said, in essence, this is what he didn't say this, but this is what they heard. Hey, I want you to go to the next town and steal a donkey. Isn't that really what he said? Not word for word, but that's what he was asking. Peter was rarely, if, if he was involved in this, was rarely found at a lack for words. But this might have been one of those times when, when he didn't know what to say. Maybe they were walking into Bethpage and the questions began to pop up. As, as he talked with Andrew or whoever was beside him, he said, how, how are we going to know which, how are we going to know which donkey? Now Jesus had said, first thing, you're going to see it. So, so immediately when you walk in, you're probably going to see a donkey and it's full, but, but still, what, what if we get the wrong donkey and it's full? They, they might have been asking, well, what if we don't see a donkey? Maybe we take the wrong road and, and we don't ever see the donkey. What, what are we supposed to do? What, what if they, question us now jesus had said just tell them the master said said to take it but what if what if they question us and and then we say what jesus said the master said i need it what what if they say i don't care who the master is that's my donkey you know they had to have questions you can sense or at least i can sense their unease they're questioning they're doubting at being obedient and they may have even thought to themselves, why, why did I volunteer? Some of you have done that before when I mention I need volunteers, and then I embarrass you. Like, why did I volunteer? They had to be thinking, why did I volunteer? Uh, it's been a couple months ago, uh, and I, I kind of know what they were thinking. I kind of know just a little bit, uh, maybe, maybe not to the degree, but I kind of know a little bit of their emotion. A couple months ago, uh, uh, we we our, our Acts 240 group, 242 group had uh, had our meeting on Wednesday night at Jason and Jennifer Wettstein's house, and and I realized the next week that I had left the DVD disc in their DVD player. So I got a hold of Jennifer, sent her an email, and said, "Hey, I, I need that DVD. Can you get it to me?" And, and I'm thinking, well, she'll she'll have Jason pick it up and and run it to me. And uh, 
she sent me an email that basically said, well, well, we'll leave the house unlocked, just go on in and get it. That doesn't sound too bad, but boy, when I pulled up to their house. Now, now they are kind of out by themselves, so there's, I don't know if there's a neighbor that can see, didn't look like it, but well, what if there's a neighbor watching? What if someone drives by that knows that they're both at work, and they see me walking up to the house or walking out of the house, and and I tell you what, I walked up, and when I got to the door, I, I kind of was hoping it was locked, but it wasn't. And But I kind of looked around, is, is no one watching? And I went in, and she said, hey, the dog will be in there, but the dog is deaf and blind, and she won't bother you. And, but, and there it was, laying on the carpet asleep, and I kind of tiptoed around it. I got the DVD player, and on the way back, it woke up and stuck its head up. And I said, the master said I could come and get this. And, uh, <laughs> but... but Oh, man, I felt guilty the whole time, even though I had permission to do it. Uh, there are times when we're asked to obey. And maybe it doesn't make sense. There are times that we're asked to obey. And it's difficult. There are times we are asked to obey, and all we can see are the what-ifs. But, but we hear the words of Jesus. We, we feel the Spirit challenging us with the words of Jesus. We, we're challenged by, by maybe a brother or sister in Christ or a message or a song or a Sunday school lesson. And we hear the words of Jesus. And, and he says, serve me. And he says, share your faith. And he says, trust me with your finances. And he says, trust me with your job. He says, trust me to change your heart. Uh, boy, sometimes it's not easy uh, to obey. But do you, do you notice the unwavering obedience by these two? Also, once it catches, there's, there's the, the act of obedience, but there's also joy, the joy of obedience. Can you imagine? Can you imagine their excitement? Can you imagine their joy as they led this donkey and its, its full back to Jesus? Can you imagine as they came around the corner and there were Jesus and the other disciples and they come with, with the colt and the, the, the donkey and it's full in hand and, and, and the guy had said, had questioned him and, and they said, the master needs it. And he said, okay, take it. And boy, just like Jesus had said, can you imagine their joy when they realized Jesus told us to do it? We didn't think it made sense. We, we might have gotten trouble, but we obeyed and it was just like Jesus said. One of the most joy-producing things that we can do in life. And, and let me just point this out. We need joy in our lives. Our, our lives can, can sometimes get pretty messy, and our lives can sometimes uh, rob us of all joy, and there's pressure, and there's frustration, and there's failure, and there's difficulty. Boy, we need joy in our life. But And one of the most joy-producing things is when Jesus calls us to obedience. And then we do it. And in the doing, he shows up. That's pretty cool. Let's, let's see the second thing that we can learn here. There's, there's unwavering obedience and there's unselfish service. As they brought the foal to Jesus, you wonder if they, if they 
hadn't, and, and maybe they talked about it on their way back. They were, they were discussing about, well, why did he have us go get this donkey and its colt? But, but, but you know, they, they had to eventually, it, it kind of sunk in why they were doing it and, and maybe what was going on. See, they had, they had been envisioning and they had been dreaming that Jesus was the Messiah. We, we know that we've talked about that in, in past weeks, how even though they were missing the point, they saw Jesus as the Messiah. They thought Jesus was going to come in and set up the, the throne in heaven. We talked about that back in January when, when they were missing the point, when Jesus said, Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. And they were thinking, Jesus, I want to sit one at your right. Uh, James and John said one at your right one at your left. So, so they had this this vision of Jesus setting up a kingdom. So as they were bringing these donkeys back, to Jesus, they, they, they must have discussed, hey, this is what's going to happen. He's getting these so that he can ride into Jerusalem. It's the start of the Holy Week. The city has swelled to two to three times its population with people that have come to, to celebrate, uh, celebrate the Passover. This is what's happening. Finally, Jesus is figuring out. Finally, Jesus is understanding. Now, they would have preferred that Jesus had them go into Bethphage and find a white stallion. Because kings, usually, conquering kings rode back into cities with white stallions. But I guess a donkey will have to do. They had to be excited. But what I want you to see is, even though they probably were missing Jesus' motivation behind it, I want you to see their un selfish service. Look at verse 6 and 7. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. I, I, I oftentimes miss verse 7. Notice what it says there. They brought the donkey and the colt. They obeyed. They did what they, they brought the donkey and the colt. Placed their cloaks on them. And Jesus sat on them. Now, now we can miss that and dip right on by that and not catch the significance. We call, uh, we call this Sunday Palm Sunday. The, the reason we do that is it says later on that, that the people went and cut palms. Uh, one person says they went out in the fields and got palms. They, they broke them off, cut them off, threw them out on the ground. We call it Palm Sunday. Now, I, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not very theatrical. Some churches will have on this Sunday, have kids march down the aisles waving palm branches or, Tossing them down, I don't know. Uh, I'm not very theatrical that way, so that just doesn't inspire me to do that. It's also called the triumphal entry. But the reality is, this really wasn't the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry really, the triumph was a week later. It's Sunday, and Sunday's coming. The, the Sunday of the triumph is a week away yet. Uh, I understand why we call that, because Jesus rode in, and people yelled and got all excited. So, so yeah, it's that. But you know what this should be called? This should be called Cloak Sunday. Cause, cause that's where we see the, uh, the unselfish, the un, that's hard to say, isn't it? Unselfish service. Be, because what they did was a sacrifice. Verse seven says they put their cloaks, they put their cloaks on the donkey because they, they knew enough, even though it wasn't a stallion, that they didn't want Jesus to ride on a bareback. So they took their cloaks off and, and I assume it was, was the two that went to get them first, and maybe some of the others tossed theirs on theirs as well. But they put their cloaks on the the donkey so Jesus could ride on that. Now, 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 maybe that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but it should. Rita has. Uh, I was going to have her bring it today and model it, and she conveniently forgot it. I think she knew what I was going to do. Uh, Rita has this gray. Uh, I sometimes call it her smoking jacket. That's kind of a. Uh, a, a personal joke. I'm weird, and she doesn't smoke, 
anymore. Uh, not since he was in high school. So, but it's just, she's had a couple of these jackets. She, she wears them around the house because they're, they're comfortable. And I, I'm just, like I said, I'm weird. And, uh, but she has this sweater that actually has a lot of meaning to her. Uh, a couple of years ago, a little over two years ago, when she had surgery, uh, a friend of hers bought this, this long gray sweater that, that, uh, that I think she, this lady had it. Rita maybe had mentioned it to her, so she ordered one and gave it to Rita. And, and when she was recovering from surgery, she would wear that because it was warm and comfortable. And and, uh, and and she wears it a lot during the winter winter time as well. Well, we were two years ago or, or a year and a half ago. We were in uh, El Paso. We had taken the gifts down at Operation Anapra. The last day we checked out the motel, crossed back over the border, uh, and I think we were on the way back across the border when Rita realized that she was missing her smoking jacket. And uh, that's just fun to say that. And uh, and she realized that she had left her sweater. And she knew what she had done. She, she put it on the chair in the motel room and got distracted and walked out. Well, we, we were going to get that. that. That sweater was too important. So she called the motel and checked with them. They said, hey, we'll check and we'll call you back. Because uh, we knew they found it. It's in loss and found no big deal. We had to go back and load the trailer, and then we'll we'll zip right on by the motel and pick it up. And they didn't get a call back. Didn't get a call back. And man, she is bugging me. You got we we got to go get that. And so we called again, and they said, "Oh, we couldn't find it." Now what Rita wanted to do was go back to the motel and search, but but we were already leaving late. It was already after dark. We were driving straight through home, so. So we said, well, hey, we'll call later and have them check again later. So, so I don't know, it was two or three more phone calls that, over the next couple of days where I, I finally got kind of just a little bit um, short with the lady and said, hey, it was in the room. It's there. Someone has either put it somewhere you can't find it or one of your people stole it. Find out where it is. Yeah, that's, that's tough. That's, <laughs> I probably didn't really say that, but I was probably, I know this didn't happen. But anyway. Well, sure enough, they found it and mailed it back, and all is good. But for a, uh, but for a disciple, for a man in Jesus' day, their cloak was kind of like that sweater to Rita. Probably even more so. Rita could have just said, hey, Renee, where did you order that? She could have ordered another one, you know, 25, 30 bucks, and she got another one. In, in Jesus' day, their cloak was their, their outer garment, and and, and it was important to them. It was valuable. It actually was expensive. And and depending on what kind you had, what you could afford, whether it was was intricate in its design or bright in its color, it often kind of gave your station in life. The the better cloak that you had basically said something about who you were and what you were. It's like a, us. If you wear stuff from Walmart or you wear stuff from, from some designer store, it kind of says something about you. And that's what their cloak was. It was important to them. And and even though these disciples were humble men and their cloaks probably didn't say a whole lot about them except that they were poor fishermen and, and didn't have a lot, their cloak was still important. And when they laid their cloak on the donkey, they risked it. They risked it getting lost they risk it getting soiled. They risked it getting, uh, getting ruined. So, so when they laid it on the donkey for Jesus to sit on, it was, it was an act of service. It was really, literally an act of service. But I want you to catch something else. And here, here maybe is the most valuable thing for us. Not only that, it was also an act of inspiration. They brought the donkey and colt 
placed their cloaks on it, and Jesus sat on them. Now look at verse 8. A very large crowd spread out their spread out their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So, so a bunch of other people, maybe it was some of the disciples, but I don't think it was just the, the 12. I, I think other people saw what they did, and, and, and maybe their act was even more inspirational because they took their cloaks, whereas Jesus was sitting on the, the two disciples, the cloaks they threw out on the road, they knew the donkey was going to walk on. They, they knew the donkey, there was a real chance the donkey might do his business on their cloak. There, there, there was a real chance that they would lose their cloak because we see that there's a crowd that went before and a crowd that followed behind. May, who, who knew what was going to happen to those cloaks? But they threw their cloaks down anyway. See, others followed their, their example. It was an inspiration. Uh, a few months ago, we studied from the book of Nehemiah, and uh, and we talked about, one of the things we talked about was that God wants us to build walls, and one of the challenges that we threw out was figuring out what walls God wants you to build, and, and I know so many of us, uh, it's just a reality of life, so many of us get frustrated because we can't figure out, hey, God, what are you calling me to? What wall are you wanting me to build? Let me suggest to you that sometimes... All God wants you to do is be sacrificial in your obedience. Just be sacrificial. And, and, and the little things you do, the, the little acts of service, which are building walls, will inspire other people. I, I, I've had a number of people that have inspired me in life. Three of them that, that kind of stand out to me. The first one was, was a guy named Noble Burns. Noble was one of the elders in my home church. And I, I've talked about one elder named Ronnie who was, was, a Loved to pray like a Pharisee and was, you know, I didn't look up to him, but Noble was the complete opposite. Noble was, was just a common guy and he loved to joke and he loved to kid. I remember one of the things that Noble used to say all the time. You, we couldn't do that today. We'd get in trouble. So, so no one followed. I've never done what Noble said. None of you say this, but Noble led children's church and, and Noble, this, this kind of, Kind of cool guy would say to us, if we started acting up, he would yell at us, and then he would do this. He would say, do you want a knuckle sandwich? Can you imagine an elder in the church saying to the kids, do you want a knuckle? Now, he was kidding. We knew he was kidding, but we also knew that if we didn't straighten up, he was going to go get mom and dad. So, I mean, it, it was effective, but I mean, Noble's just this kind, gentle, real man of God, and and I remember thinking, that's that's the kind of man of God I want to be. And I remember another person that deeply impacted my life, and and that was my sister Deb. Uh, my sister Debbie has a, a servant's heart. In high school, her and another friend, uh, just on their own, uh, decided they would start a ministry of visiting. And and so one night a week, they would walk through the streets of my hometown, which was a small town, and but they would go visit several of the shut-ins, several widow ladies that, that didn't have people to visit them. And they just started this ministry on their own. And then, then I had the, the privilege of, 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 of seeing Deb when I was in college. Her husband was still in college when I was there. And when we were in Louisiana, they lived in Louisiana and, and, and just, just able to watch my sister with a kind, gentle heart and a serving heart inspire me. And then I, I, Think of my brother. He's gone on to be with the Lord now, Rafael Bersiaga Sr. 
Raphael affected literally hundreds of people in in Anapra, the area in, in Juarez that we serve in and we build our houses in. Uh, back when when we first started, when I first, uh, Rita and I first started going to, to Mexico, Anapra didn't have running water. Uh, most of them didn't even have uh, much electricity. And, and, and Raphael started a ministry where he would take water. They just had these barrels they would fill up and dip water out. And, and he would take water out and fill people's barrels. So he would give them water, physical water, so that he could talk to them about living water. And through that ministry, he, he founded a church. And hundreds of people were touched by this man who simply served. I, I hope that for myself, I can be obedient and I can be sacrificial, and in doing so, maybe, maybe inspire someone. And, and we see one last thing, and we'll finish with this last point. We see, and it's kind of the obvious thing of this Sunday, we see unbridled praise. We see unbridled praise. Hosanna to the Son of David, they said. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Unbridled praise. See, it's what it's what they said. What, one of the things they said was Hosanna, which... Which, which Hosanna means save. It's what they say. Blessed is he who comes in the name. They, they were quoting scripture that was pro, uh, prophetic in nature, that was messianic in nature. And, and, and they, and they said that because they saw that's who Jesus was. It's what they said, but it's also why they said it. See, Jerusalem, as I said, this was started their holy week. Jerusalem had swelled with thousands and thousands of people there to celebrate the Passover. They had come to Jerusalem to remember. They had come to remember a time when Jesus saved, or when, when God saved, when God delivered. They came that day to remember, that week to remember, a, a time when the words of God saved Israel from, from Egypt and set them free. And now, maybe for the first time in their lives, for, for some of them, the first time in generations, they saw someone that was giving them hope again. Jesus, even though they didn't understand the real nature of his ministry, Jesus gave them the glimpse of hope that there was salvation, that there was deliverance for them. No matter where you are today, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've wandered, Jesus, Jesus offers you salvation. He offers you hope that you can know him too. It was an early to mid-80s. I, uh, Reed and I and the, the boys that would have been two of our sons at the time were, were back in Illinois visiting. And somewhere during that, uh, that visit, I began to talk baseball with my dad. That's one of my greatest memories from childhood was going to Cardinals games with my dad and dad coaching my baseball team and, and walking over the diamond and pitching ball after ball uh, to me and, and trying to make me a better ball player. And, and, and we were talking baseball, and I don't know how it came up, but but we began to talk about Gary Gaetti. Does anyone know who Gary Gaetti is? Some of you remember, yeah, I knew you'd remember who he was. Gary Gaetti, for those of you that don't know, was a professional baseball player. Actually, he's a brother in Christ. Uh, Gary Gary Gaetti grew up in Centralia, Illinois, which is just about 15 miles from my hometown. In fact, my last high school baseball game, I played against his high school. I played against Gaetti. Gaetti went to Northwest Missouri, then got drafted by the Twins, became an all-star with the Twins. Later in his career, ended up with the Royals for a few years, and I think maybe the, the Angels as well. 
But my dad said, in talking about that, my dad said, you know what, you ought to go to, to a Royals game sometime when the twins are there and, and, and see if you can, see if you can talk to Gaetti and tell him that Joe Tamp said hi. And I looked at my dad like, why would Gary Gaetti know you? Well, it turns out my dad worked with Gary Gaetti's dad at the railroad. And, and then, and then I, I, I questioned, well, does he really know you? And, and dad said, yeah, he'll know who I am. And so I left that day excited. Man, I'm going to do what my dad asked me to do. We went to, a, the next time the twins were in town, we went to the game. We got there super early. And, and we walked, uh, walked down. Or Let me see, I walked down because Rita stood back. She's like, you're going to embarrass yourself. And I'm not going to be part of it. So she stood a couple of rows back like she was just. And uh, Gaetti was in batting practice, and he walked away from the bad practice. And I hollered, hey, Gaetti, Gary Gaetti, come here. And he, and he, he came over. And I said, uh, and now I was getting a little nervous. I thought, did, did, did I just play a practical joke on me, and I'm going to embarrass myself? But I said, hey, hey, do you know who Joe Champ is? Yeah, I know Joe Champ. I said, that's my dad. Oh, cool. Yeah, he works with my dad at the railroad. He could have knocked me over with a feather. I, I mean, and you, I'm sure I swelled in pride. I looked back at Rita like, yeah. <laughs> Gaetti knows my dad. And then he pointed out, he said, hey, my parents are at the game. They're sitting right up there. And he pointed, and there was only two people sitting in this whole big section. That's a section for, for family of, of visiting players. And my parents are up there. You, you can go sit up there with them. And, and uh, then God, he said, well, hey, I need to go. And then, then I said the one thing that does embarrass me about this story. I, do you remember what I said, Rita? Uh, just, uh, I, I said, as he walked away, I said, hey, Gary, hit a home run for me. I turned around like, what an idiot. <laughs> you know? And he didn't hit a home run for me that night. He probably struck out. Hey, that's for you, Tim. But, but we walked up and we sat with his parents and got to visit with them and ended up sitting Right behind home plate. I'd never sat that close to a ball. Except part of the game in seats beside them. All because my dad said, hey, do what I ask you to do. Do what I ask you to do. And you'll be blessed. Hey, it's Sunday and Sunday's coming. Next Sunday is our most important Sunday. And I hope you're here. And if not here, I hope you're in a church somewhere. And I hope that, that you realize just how important it is for you to tell other people that it's not about ham and it's not about candy and it's not about your fuzzy bunnies. It's, uh, it's about Jesus on the cross and Jesus coming back to life. But, you know, maybe this Sunday, it, it, it's way back there, but it's second place to that Sunday when we obey, when we serve, when we praise. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word and the blessing of Jesus in our life. Father, uh, sometimes you call us to be obedient, and it's tough, and it's not easy. But, oh, there's such joy when we are. Father, you want us to just simply serve you sacrificially, because when we do that, it inspires others to do the same. Father, you are so worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our praise. Father, help our lives be instruments of praise to you. Lord, help everyone here this morning know that you're calling them to obedience. That you're going to show up when they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?